Welcome to the Fundraising Elevator, where we're all headed up. This podcast is a production of ElevateNonprofit.com, an online learning platform for fundraising event professionals. We're coming to you today from the studios of the AV department. Please welcome our hosts, Kristen Steele and Samantha Swaim. Hello, and welcome to the Fundraising Elevator. We're so excited to have with us today, Brooke Battle. Brooke, welcome. This has been like a long time coming. We've had (laughs) conversations for a while about having you on the show. We're so glad that you're finally here today. I'm so glad to be here. I know our conversation is going to be great because we sort of go back. So I think that'll be really fun. We've well, been in this a long time. We have been in the event world sort of um, on two different ends of the spectrum for a very long time, mm-hmm. comparing notes, sharing stories. And I wanted today to be a little bit about that because you and I were talking about just the um, sort of ideation around events that's been happening right now and just the time for creative thinking about events. So mm-hmm. I thought, what a better topic than to talk to Brick. Brooke, you are with Swell, and Swell Fundraising is um, sort of a whole tool we need to be able to introduce folks to first. But let me tell folks about you, and then we'll dive in and start talking a little bit about creativity and events. Sound good? Sounds great. Great. All right. Well, the formal introduction and bio, Brooke Battle is the founder and CEO of Swell Fundraising, a sophisticated software platform dedicated to nonprofit event fundraising. With over 16 years of experience serving the sector, Brooke launched Swell in 2012, introducing the groundbreaking Smart Party event concept, a hybrid competitive peer-to-peer fundraising event benefiting women's organizations in the Southeast. Since then, Swell's technology has powered thousands of successful events and campaigns, raising over $100 million for charitable causes. Brooke's expertise spans hybrid, virtual events, fundraising, peer-to-peer campaigns, event technology, and guest engagement. She believes that each fundraising event, regardless of the concept, holds the strategic power in shaping a nonprofit's brand and long-term fund development strategy. Beyond her dedication to fundraising, Brooke is committed to her family and many causes, including women's economic security, poverty alleviation, climate change, LGBTQ rights. Today, Swell Fundraising continues to empower and equip nonprofits across the U.S. to host more impactful events and campaigns. Thank you for joining us, Brooke. Brooke, where are you joining us from today? I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. Well, Thank you from Birmingham, Alabama. We were um, just talking to some friends before hopping on this call in Savannah, Georgia, not too far from you, who just had an event that was so out of the box and so creative. They brought so much love to their event. And I feel like COVID forced us all to be creative, but you were creative before that. You were doing things that were so cutting edge. They were combining different models of fundraising. So I want to ask you, when you think about events and when you think about all the different sort of angles and resources you bring to an event, what is the potential of an event? What is the like sort of big picture goal that you see when you're thinking about a fundraising event? Um, We could have an entire session on just that question, I think. Obviously, I'm in this spend every day thinking about the potential of an event, and I think it's huge. Um, The potential can go both ways, though. And having been in the space a long time, I want to be really careful there. I mean, like, I've seen the potential be extraordinarily positive, but if not done well, it can also, the potential can be negative as well. So, so, and we're going to get into that, I think, as we talk about the investment and things and all. But um, but let's talk big picture and on the positive side about what, what the potential for an event, you know. Um, in fact, when we launched the Smart Party, gosh, 12, 12 years ago, um, I don't think I really understood the potential for an event that was really about helping a cause I loved, right? It was very simple. Um, but what happened is, is literally we woke up the next day and the whole community was talking about an organization that they had not heard of two days earlier. Wow. And we had brought in hundreds of new donors and over the course of five years brought in over a thousand new donors we were retaining those donors at a 55% rate and just watch this event transform a, a, a very quiet organization into a very public and very well-branded group. So much so that there were actually some, I'd call them problems. Like because the organization had run this innovative event, then when they came, it came time to do, uh, it was a program day for their grant recipients. 
they felt pressure to be innovative there. <laughs> and so all of a sudden it's like, well, what cool thing are you going to do here? And so it actually puts some pressure on other parts of the organization because the branding that that event had put forward for the organization really needed to become apparent throughout the organization. So I think the potential for an event is that it um, can, can, can really put a mark on the branding of an organization. Um, and it can raise a lot of more money than, than what people give it credit for. And I'd love for us to talk, unpack that a little bit more, but these fundraising events can all raise more than they're raising, period. I, oh, I agree with you. I, there's so much potential in fundraising events that I think folks um, pull back from or are nervous about that they don't actually mm-hmm. leverage all that potential. But I want to I want to ask you just about smart parties. Just can you frame for sure. us what a smart party is? Because you've talked about sort of the potential for this organization and the brand, the establishment of the organization, the word of mouth about the organization. So I think smart parties are really unique. Tell us what that is and how Swell Fundraising kind of is the technology tool around that. Sure, sure. Well, um, smart, yeah, smart party is an event concept, obviously. Um, and it actually took us a little while since we're chatting. Uh, it took us a little while to decouple Swell from smart party. Sure. We didn't really recognize the difference between an event concept and technology that was running that right, concept. Right. And so that actually took us two years to figure out uh, the difference between those two things. Um, the smart party is an event concept, much like, you know, like there's wine, women and shoes, which uh-huh. um, came out of California, which is a great concept. Um, and so the idea behind smart party is that it's a live crowdfunding event and that every single person who is a guest at this event has the power to be a fundraiser should they choose to be. And their prize is given out throughout the party. And the idea is that everything about the party is smart. How you give, what we eat, what we talk about, how they talk about their smart sponsors. And the idea being, and that we're using smart technology to raise funds for this cause. And, and that everything about it should be smart, even down to the little things like sometimes smart water, you know, uh-huh. almost to a joke, almost to a joke level. You know, um, we want every guest who goes to a smart party to feel like they learned something in the process as well, so that you feel smarter for going. And so, but it, at the core, from a fundraising standpoint, every single person um, can be a fundraiser and we can show on the screens in real time that fun, that peer-to-peer fundraising going on. So just imagine your, you know, you know this concept in the walk space where someone is fundraising for the two weeks leading up to the walk, right. you're in your office yeah. and you give, and then they go walk on a Saturday morning, maybe, you know, maybe not, but they go walk and that's the end of that, right? Well, imagine it this way where they walk into a room, they get a link, they can immediately share it to you. You can click it and actually watch the party from wherever you are in the world. And you can give through your friend and your name pops up on the screen in the room. And so they're fundraising in real time while they're enjoying a cocktail and talking with their friends. And then you can see who's winning in real time and then win the party at the end of the night. Okay. So you just said so much. There's so much there. No, it's amazing. (laughs) It's so exciting to me because it's, you were cutting edge before COVID. Like, you know, since COVID, we've been Mm -hmm. doing a lot of hybrid events, but you were doing that long before. So First of all, you said a crowdfunding event. Normally a crowdfunding, I think most people know crowdfunding through like platforms, campaigns that Mm -hmm. are run like GoFundMe or something like that. So crowdfunding is that idea where you're reaching out to many people and it's a numbers game, lots of people giving. So you're saying Mm -hmm. it's a crowdfunding event. It is a peer-to-peer campaign which if folks mm-hmm. don't know, peer-to-peer campaign, that is the idea that a single key stakeholder is reaching out to their donor base to raise money at an event that might be more of like a traditional gala event. So like a major donor model being mm-hmm. broadcast. Well, this is actually not, not to, I don't want to, but I do want to be conversational. It doesn't fit the major donor community oh, okay. as well. Okay. So we have a swell is used very well in the major donor community now. Um, but that model, that that kind of live fundraising, fundraising. event um, is really, really hits the kind of 35 to 45 year old market very well. Okay. So it, it, it because it's so lively and energetic, 
um, we find the major donor community really likes a more sedate, <laughs> a more sedate. Direct, event. yeah. Um, so yeah, a little more of that, a little more of the paddle raise kind of culture. Um, this is a little more um, energetic. And so, and, and because it's so tech heavy, the smart party is that it tends to, it tends to edge down a little bit younger in, in that regard. And then but, you um, also said so there's- I wanted to make sure I clarified that. Sorry. Thank yeah. you. But you also said that you can win the smart party. So tell me, with all these things, crowdfunding, peer-to-peer, smart party, broadcasting the event, and you can win, what is the guest experience like in that environment? It is like, we, we call it a low LA, Los Angeles vibe, um, where they're sitting in what's, it's usually designed to be a little bit like a cocktail where they're sitting in sofas having a cocktail. Oh, okay. And it's meant to be like they're in a low LA kind of cocktail scene and um, talking with their friends while this is going on in the background is really what it is. And what, so, it, what are you doing to instruct them to participate? Like how, what is the like motivator for them? the program. So about every 30 minutes, an MC, usually a different MC, but it depends on the program, a different MC will kind of pop up and remind everybody like, hey, here's who's winning and usually give out a door prize and um, and remind them of, hey, here's your here's your link on your phone, share it with your friends and, and they'll they'll just draw everybody back toward the screens and kind of what's happening behind the scenes or what's happening, not behind the scenes, in front of them. So um, so every 30 minutes, somebody pops up and talks about the fundraising, celebrates who's at the top of the leaderboard, gives out a prize, and then lets everybody talk again. Um, and, and usually there is a core point point where for about 15 minutes, the organization does do a video, a call to action, very mission centric um, piece of the, of the event. Um, and so, and throughout the event, the screens, because it's very screen heavy, we use the screens to, you know, to, to always have the statistics up around the mission, kind of the why we're there doing that, um, that event, what the fundraising is for, and sort of keeping that top of mind while the group of people are able to talk and interact and visit while they're kind of texting and emailing their friends at the same time. Well, I love this idea because like when you first presented this to me years ago, it blew my mind because it tapped into all the psychology things that we use all the time in events, which is how to make people feel like they're a part of something, how to Mm -hmm. bring the fun and the delight and the surprise, how to recognize people and celebrate people. So what is what you said that they can win? What what kind of prizes and incentives do you use? Um, well, these come from the from nonprofits, and so they um, the prizes range widely, but it needs to be something that they can't buy. So often, it's a um, in the past, it's been a trip to you know a flight and a trip and a tour of Google headquarters. They've done a tour of Meta and Facebook headquarters, um, both in California and New York, and um, so it's usually something like that a, a visit to something that you might not otherwise be able to visit. Um, so I think something kind of priceless is helpful in the, in the concept. So, um, but I want to take it forward because yeah. smart party, what we learned about smart party is that it's hard to explain, right? Yeah, it's yeah. hard for someone to understand it. And, and so we backed up from that and we're like, wait, how do we apply this to a luncheon event? Can you scale this down where it's not an event concept, but recognize that Everyone that attends a luncheon and everyone that hosts a table at an event also has friends. So maybe you're not awarding prizes and making that competitive part the central feature of an event, but can every event be smart in that way? And that's what we started to do three years later is to apply and change the name of the company to Swell and apply that kind of concept to luncheon events, um, dinners, galas, recognizing that everyone in that room has that same network. And they may not want to reach out during the event, but they might reach out pre-event, they might reach out during the event, post-event, and recognizing that we all can have that network effect with every event and that we shouldn't spend so much time focusing on just the 500, 1,000, whatever the number of people are in the room, but all of the people who could not attend yeah, and all the people who are left behind uh, if we only ask the people who are in the room to give. So that's, that is, that is the, the arc of the journey is recognizing that everyone has the ability to have their own smart elements to these events. Well, it's interesting because COVID was a, I mean, you, we were talking about creativity and events, 
COVID was like the mother of innovation, right? For all these nonprofits. And what you're talking about was happening before that, but now is so valuable as organizations are trying to figure out how do we go hybrid? How do we take the event out of the ballroom? How do Mm -hmm. we meet people where they're at? And the big question we get all the time right now is we're a national organization and we're only raising money in this one city. How do we reach Mm -hmm. a national audience? So Um, How are you seeing like technology start to shape that conversation for organizations? What's the like evolution you're seeing right now? Well, I don't know, to be honest, and I I hate to be negative about, but I'm not seeing the evolution that I hoped I would see Mm. uh, uh, after COVID. Um, COVID did turbocharge and and our phones definitely rang a lot more than they were prior um, because we've been doing that. We all, we had a hybrid platform in place already. So um, our clients didn't have to cancel. They just pivoted straight into virtual. Right. Um, we, we were hosting virtual events in April of 2020. And yeah. so, um, and it was incredible. And some of those were more successful than their in-person mm-hmm. had been the year before, yeah. which a lot of, a lot of nonprofits experience that. And so it was um, a pretty incredible time. Um, I thought, um, Unfortunately, I, I'd love to hear what you think too. I think nonprofits had to dive so fast into technology that they didn't understand and that they were scared of that, that we've retreated a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they really are, you know, going back to the old ways because it's comfortable. Um, and, and that technology, they, they really didn't have time to spend really understanding it and really feeling confident in it. And, and and I would say the evolution that needs to happen is that our nonprofit teams need to find partners or get comfortable themselves with this technology um, and the mindset around yeah. it. I think that they shifted. I think they shifted their technology, but they didn't shift their mindset around. Wait, wait, wait. What what did I accomplish <laughs> that I wasn't accomplishing pre-COVID? And um and 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 more just retreated back to, oh, thank goodness that's over. In fact, we've heard that a lot. Oh, thank goodness that's over. Yeah, we have too. So. And I think you're right. I think that folks were kind of like pushed into a pressure cooker. And so getting out of the pressure cooker became the need. And yet the interesting thing is that many technology tools I think have like catapulted out of this into becoming solutions and tools that can do so much more. So I, you know, that's a big part of why we started the fundraising elevator is this idea that we can all support each other in this and all head up together in that there's an evolution happening in the event Mm -hmm. space right now. So, um, I don't, and to your point on the evolution, like it's so much easier now. Yeah. Like now I, I kind of want to shout from the rooftops and be like, oh my gosh, it's so much easier. Like 12 years ago, I had to be behind the scenes live streaming it. The AV company didn't know how to live stream. Right. So I personally, they had the cameras and all, but I had to have the devices and the computer and to figure out how to live stream. And it was a platform called Ustream that's now been acquired. I mean, it's just you couldn't live stream through Zoom and YouTube, you know? Right. And so so to talk about evolution, yeah, the tools are cheaper, they're easier to use, um, they're built for consumers where they really weren't built for yeah. the average consumer at all. Um, and so there's never been a better time to try to figure it out because it's it's so much easier. It's just so much easier to use now. It's great. Well, you mentioned <laughs> yeah. where organizations are investing. So I want to take a break. And when we come back, I want to dive a little bit deeper into like, how that investment can transform events, but also the brand possibility out of events. So we'll be right back. Awesome. At Elevate, we believe in bringing people together. Our online learning platform for fundraising events has webinars, workshops, downloadable tools, and more designed to save you time and stress when planning your next event. We're getting nonprofit, development, and event planning professionals the tools and ideas they need to create events that inspire donors and raise more money. So join us at elevatenonprofit.com. The link is also in our show notes. Events have a unique power to create an immersive experience for your donors and your mission. That's why we created the Elevate Conference, to teach you the tools for planning a successful fundraising event. 
join us for Elevate 2024 on February 1st and 2nd. This hybrid fundraising conference will be hosted at Avenue in Portland, Oregon, and broadcast online for a virtual audience. You'll get practical tools, demos, and templates you can implement right now. Join us. The Elevate Conference is a production of ElevateNonprofit.com and is presented by Swaim Strategies and the AV Department. To find out more and register, visit ElevateNonprofit.com today. Well, welcome back to the Fundraising Elevator. We're here with Brooke Battle of Swell Fundraising, who has been pushing boundaries on technology and uh, living in the live stream and hybrid world for a very long time. And in our conversation early on, you mentioned the potential branding. So I want to ask you about, that's a big conversation for a lot of nonprofits, figuring out how to raise their visibility and their profile. And there are a lot more tools and a lot more resources right now. So what do you think the potential is for an organization and their brand if, if done well? Oh, I think it's one of the greatest things that a, a nonprofit can do for their brand. Um, unless you're a national brand with a large marketing budget, you know, the event is usually the thing that most donors see of you. It's, yeah. it's, it's the most visible thing you do as a, as a nonprofit. And, and I think that's why they're so high pressure. So if we really are honest about it, the reason they're so stressful is because they're so visible. Yeah. It's so true. Um, that it is the branding and the visibility of it that makes it so scary, you know, and so stressful for, for our, our awesome nonprofit teams. But from a branding standpoint, a, a few things. One is first I'd say it's what your event says about you. Does it, does, what are the words someone would say to describe your event? And are those words, words you would want them to say about your organization? And I think it's, it's big and little things like innovative, organized, sophisticated, smart, like what are the things we want people to experience and thus accrue that to our brand identity with the donors who touch our organization through the event? And then to the wrong outside of that, these are the, those who maybe don't touch the event and don't attend the event in some way. How can the branding of the organization travel along with all of the communication around ticketing? Mm. And that's where I think is a big missed opportunity is that organizations that we sort of instinctively understand how to talk about come to this event because X, Y, and Z and buy your tickets now. You know, there's a lot of that communication. Um, and that says nothing about your brand. It says really very little about the event itself and why some should, should, should connect to it. And so in all of that communication, there should be a, a guide in how we talk about the brand of the organization so that you distinguish yourself. Um, I often like to tell a story. A lot of markets have those little magazines, you know, that you can pick up at a grocery store sometimes. Uh -huh. It'll have all the nonprofit events and pictures in them, and a, they'll have a short little description of the event. And go pick one of those up and read through it and how many of the descriptions of the event sound exactly the same. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Literally exactly the same. And and I get so sad thinking about that because I'm like, hey, probably these events aren't exactly the same, but we're talking about them the exact same way. So think about the brand of the organization in how you describe the event and how you do it. And then finally, if you are doing virtual um, you have the ability to reach so many more people and touch so many people. Um, I also think events are a great co-branding opportunity for sponsors. Um, that wasn't quite your question, but there's also a great co-brand, I think, angle with an event that has a really, really wide reach. So if you're reaching thousands of people through your event because you're using technology, then there are a lot of companies that would like to ride that same rail and co-brand with you. Yeah, absolutely. I think sponsorship is often kind of a, a big fundraising bucket and opportunity for us that can get overlooked or just un be undervalued in its potential. But you're right, you're, you have an audience that is a co-brand opportunity. And we had an organization recently have an event that they're a very successful, very well-known organization around the country, very influential in their work. And mm -hmm. they added the hybrid element this year. They did, they used a technology tool so that they had a thermometer that showed every gift happening both in the room and out of the room. And mm -hmm. they had a broadcast that people tuned in for. And the number one thing that their guest surveys returned to them was this legitimized their organization in a way that they hadn't been seen when they were hosting kind of smaller 
gatherings that people couldn't tune in from nationally, even though they're a national organization. They even had right. they, my favorite quote from a guest was this was baller. <laughs> they <laughs> said this quote. was this was like the thing that made it for them. So that that technology push is just like we're sitting on this precipice right now. So why would you like or what would you say to any board or organization about investing in technology? Like where would you encourage folks to start? Well, I would say this. I mean, ticketing and registration. If you walked into the Apple store to pick up an order and they opened up a ring binder with paper in it to check on your order, what would you think? Right. If the re- if, if the restaurant that you ordered from opened up anything with paper, what would you think? So when you walk into an event and if anyone has paper sitting in front of them to check you in, what is your donor thinking? So it's kind of that simple to me. Like, and, and when I, I, I mean, I, Maybe maybe in your part of the world, maybe they're not still, but there are still plenty of nonprofits oh, that sure. are printing yeah. out printing out ticket lists. Um, not to mention, by the way, it takes it takes longer to check a guest in on paper than it does with an app. So your guests are waiting, whereas literally simply replacing that with something searchable that's tech, technologically um, supported yeah. will speed up that line. It it actually takes longer to look up a guest of paper. So. Um, so which one of my great pet peeves is donors waiting in line. I could just, it uh-huh. just sends me <laughs> off into another, uh, out of all the technology I've talked about, I'm still back to just fast check in donors should not wait at the door. <laughs> We're still back to basics. So, um, I would say like from a, from an investment standpoint, um, you know, and back to that original point, assess who you are, you know, uh, if you need to take it in small bites, take it in small bites, but just do it. Don't mm-hmm. do nothing because you're intimidated by the whole. Um, start with a really, really great smooth registration process um, that gets you off of Excel spreadsheets. Yeah. Excel spreadsheets at the door, right? Let's just keep it small. You know, um, another thing, if you are, I would call it, you know, hybrid curious, right? If you're curious <laughs> about virtual, you know, and you're not sure about whether you're ready to um, live stream an event and have that stress going on while you're in person in a room. Um, we've had clients have really good success with asynchronous events. Oh. So record the record the event. Um, sell virtual tickets that are at a different time. So maybe the event is in the evening and you have a coffee the next morning or even a couple days later, which give you a chance to even edit the edit yeah. the a live broadcast, you know, and you can introduce it, do a live introduction, um, and then broadcast pieces of the event and have a virtual event two days later. Um, for a different audience. And so in the asynchronous, you're, and again, it's a mindset, it's recognizing that not everyone who can physically come to this dinner on a Wednesday night, um, we might we might be able to capture an entirely different audience if we broadcast this at 8.30 a.m. and call it a coffee on Friday morning. Yes. Um, with similar content, um, where they're able to still honor the honorees and still do things that they care about. So um, so I think asynchronous has been very approachable uh, because there's some really low tech ways of doing that. Yeah. And um, and that's one. Um, I also love multi-site, multi-day events oh. where you have smaller vignettes um, and smaller, smaller, smaller events going on. Um, you can record those and then also pull those together into a larger virtual broadcast. So um, that's a way of also hitting a regional area if you're a statewide or a regional organization. Um, but but connect everybody through the branding of an overall event concept and so that people can connect. Um, I love those because it's also a great way to meet other people. So um, if I want to come to your city because of, you know, maybe we, we – like we likely do donate. Let's go. I mean, we probably do donate to some of the yes, same causes. Yes, we right? probably let's, do. Let's go out a little. We probably do. We probably are donors to some of the same causes. And um, wouldn't it be great if if we had this like overarching national event where you know you could come to an you know very easily register and feel like it was welcome to be at an event in Birmingham. I could come to you if I wanted to, or even more regional. You know, if it's something where you want to drive as a way to connect with other donors who are giving to the same causes and recognize that we'll enjoy connecting with each other um, in a meaningful way. So um, whether that's in an online format or in a physical format. So, um, yeah, there are a lot of ways to slice an event. Um, And I do think COVID got us into a little bit of a rut of like, oh, it has to be live at noon on Thursday. 
And it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, technology allows you to reach people anywhere all the time. Um, we've had weekend long events where somebody Ooh. launched an awards announcement and it was a parent, it was kind of a parent group. And so you could tune in anytime from Friday at five all the way through, it was a Sunday afternoon. And people were logging in and tuning in and watching this presentation all throughout the weekend. Wow. Um, and they raised and they raised about 15 grand and it before hadn't even been a fundraiser. So, wow. Yeah. Well, asynchronous events is something that um, I think you can use a lot of different ways. But one of the things that I've seen very successfully done is a partnership with a bro local broadcast. So let's say oh, your yeah. local NBC affiliate has an open spot. It might be at 10 p.m. or, you know, 1 a.m. on a Sunday, but that they'll take your event content and repurpose it for an asynchronous event, which is, I think, really compelling. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, yeah. a whole new audience and you might not hit, you know, everyone in that market that you would hit if it was a 5 p.m broadcast but they're opening up their bandwidth to give you new access to donors so i love the idea of asynchronous events oh, and i love partnerships i just i love i love great partnerships those are awesome well those tell me awesome, in so. like the event world of production that you've been working in lately mm -hmm. who is someone that's done it really well like what's an example of mm -hmm. someone that's really like leaned into the technology side of things oh there's so many um well, I was just attending uh, one of one of my new favorite events that we're working with is a group called the Air Power Foundation. It's their Skyball. It's in Dallas, Texas, and um, it's held at Texas Ranger Stadium, which, by the way, is maybe the largest building I've ever been in in my life. It's it's an indoor <laughs> baseball stadium. Oh I didn't know that. <laughs> it's an indoor baseball stadium, so it's enormous. Um, and so and and it's on the field, so. Um, it does give meaning to like, everything's bigger in Texas. Uh -huh. Always. <laughs> so, yes. Every event we do in Texas is big. bigger in Texas. So, um, but what I'll say about this event that is so great, I think is it's a little bit different every year. So one thing they are great at that they were always, I think, great at is their content. Uh, too often, I think events are the same year after year yeah. after year yeah. and they become very predictable and whether you're live or virtual, you have to give reason people a reason to tune in. So um, I, I love that they've really focused very hard on, I think the, 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 the guest journey throughout this mm. event and the product, the production and how they um, air power uh, focuses on military families. So there's a very, I think I would say somber portion of the event, very focused in on the sacrifice. Um, um, they have, it, it just, it, it, and then, and then it, it sort of, it, it gradually, brings people over the course of a couple of hours up to what I would tell you is what they do as a table race. And so they do use our technology um, to, and, it, and we, we provide all the registration, the ticketing, all these things, right? Sure, um, yeah. But from a tech, from a tech standpoint, they recently introduced what they call as the table race. And this is something then that can happen outside of the room, inside of the room. Um, and so you can go online during the event and give toward a table. And on the screen, and it's actually on the scoreboard in the stadium, um, and they have a celebrity chef and all, um, and they're sort of yelling at them, <laughs> give, give, give. And it's like a horse race to see which table raises the most money. And it's very energetic at the very end. So they, they really bring you all the way up to this, like, kind of frenetic point where everyone's giving and they're racing to see which table wins. And so we're showing on the, on the screen in real time, which table is raising the most money in real time. And then they award a boot to the winning <laughs> table and that boot and that boot gets passed around now from year to year. So you Amazing. can win the, it's the same boot. So you win the boot, you know? So, um, so, and that's been a really fun activation for them and help them raise a lot more money. So, um, so it's a combination of like great storytelling, with technology and, and you just can't decouple that. So yeah. technology alone, technology alone does not raise funds. No, um, yeah. it, just, it doesn't, it's still your story. It's still all those things. Um, I, I love also the Washington area women's foundation luncheon. Um, they also do a great job storytelling and changing up their luncheon and making it really energetic, lots of music, things you don't normally see at a very corporate kind of DC luncheon. So um, I, I love that one for that reason. And similarly um, they, leaned into technology and broadcasting. Um, but we also work with some smaller organizations. Um, I, I think some of our small nonprofits um, have really 
outslung the big guys. Uh Um, They adopted, um, and it's really kind of fun to to see. So um, we have a a client, and um, we work with Morehouse on their gala, um, and it will be hybrid. Um, They will, um, they obviously have alums and people who want to connect to Morehouse from all over the world. And they have a, a very esteemed gala that has is that people have loved for years. It's a hard ticket to get, and um, and now you can attend it virtually. And um, and not only do they raise more money, but I think they're I think their community appreciates that too. Like you know, if you're an alum and you can't attend, oh yeah, I think it's really nice to be able to connect. I've attended yeah. events virtually because I couldn't travel to the event mm-hmm. or I had a conflict with another event we were producing that I couldn't also be at this organization. And, you know, in our community here locally, on any given night, there's 15 galas a night. And so oh. the ability for me to tune in either asynchronously or to tune in while I'm doing something else is a really amazing invite in. And alumni of an organization, I mean, that is anyone who has alumni should be looking at not just hybrid, yes. but also like integrated models, like peer to peer, because there's such a, we have one organization that's like a fraternal organization that the class competition element of it, yeah. like class mm-hmm. 19 versus class 35 competing yep. against each other also like raises the bar in the fundraising. Oh, those are so fun. Those are so fun. Yeah, those are great. The other thing that I think has been interesting is Years ago, pre-COVID, and this, of course, we've been, like I said, you mentioned, we've been doing this a while. Um, this started because I I've been, was very involved with women's funds and women's foundations as on a personal level. And we were working, we still work with the Women's Fund of Hawaii. And and human trafficking was an, an issue that I was personally connected to. And I was watching their live stream. So I'm thousands of miles away. I'm in yeah. Alabama. It's in Honolulu, Hawaii. It's also 8 p.m. there. It's two in the morning oh <laughs> where I am. And, and I'm watching this event and a woman, you know, a survivor of human trafficking stands up and tells her story. And I realized in that moment, almost emotionally, I was like, human trafficking is a cause that that is not an isolated cause. What happens in Atlanta affects Birmingham, affects Dallas, right? These yeah. are, we don't solve, we don't solve it in Alabama. Um, you don't solve it, you know, um, in Washington, you don't solve it in Hawaii, right? We solve it together. And I just felt so connected to that story and very compelled and, and by the opportunity there. The flip side though, is like I tuned in recently, there's a, um, a women's organization, a national one, I'm not going to name, but <laughs> They have the word like global and international uh-huh. in their name, you know? And and so I bought a ticket um, because I'm interested, right? Um, the ticketing process was not sophisticated. It was not dedicated to virtual. Mm. It was unclear how to log in. And then when I did, the broadcast was really, really poorly done. Mm. It was one camera, single, it was just... And I will say, when we go to branding, like it really deflated in my mind the status of that organization because to me, it's it's a global. Um, you know, their branding, their logo looks really sharp. I mean, everything about them I thought was big, and then this event wasn't. Yeah, and it really changed for me what I thought about that organization. And um, and I'm I'm sorry to say that. And so that that's important that um. I mean, and that goes to investing well. Like if you have the word global in your name, you really need to <laughs> invest. Get this right. Yes. Well, it's interesting because yeah. I think it's an argument too about if technology is something that feels overwhelming, bringing in a partner who is doing, you know, four or five virtual events a week is a way to be able to know that you have thought partnership, that you have experts in execution, that when something does go wrong, they can troubleshoot on site. So that's what I appreciate so much about um, just the advances in the various Mm -hmm. platforms and the various resources that are out there. We um, work, our production partners on this podcast are the AV department, and we work with them on live streams. And we're just in conversation about um, the need right now to figure out tools and solutions for those who are already investing in beautiful productions to then be able mm-hmm. to take it out of the ballroom in a very affordable, cost-effective way. And, right. you know, that's just such a, like, sort of growing request that we're hearing from organizations is how do we present ourselves professionally, have a thought partner so mm-hmm. we don't have to be worried about the technology we don't have to train ourselves on new technology. And there's just so many resources now out there. 
Um, so many. You mm-hmm. mentioned sort of this situation where the branding didn't align for you. What do you do when, you know, you're working on an event and something either technically fails or when it goes wrong? Like what's a, what's a story of like how to troubleshoot or handle a situation when it goes wrong? Sure. Um, and, you know, the reality is I think nonprofit leaders shortchange themselves, right? And event people, you too, Sam. I mean, anybody that has done events for any length of time and anybody that's worked for a nonprofit is used to troubleshooting, right? right. On the fly, what, whatever that is. And it wasn't technology. Sometimes it's the caterer, right? You know, you've, and so I would say first, we've all been doing that. So troubleshooting technology really isn't any different. So, um, so it's nothing, no reason to be more scared of it than, right. <laughs> than all the other things that go on at events, which are crazy sometimes. So, um, but to troubleshoot one, I would say, it, it does make sense to have a good partner. Um, I would say you, every nonprofit will sleep better knowing that they have another person who is who is paid to stress out about it uh-huh. and that you're not on the point. So I would say it is worth your sleep to have someone like a swell, an event planner, swim strategies, um, and someone that you know is waking up thinking about it. Um, but should it go wrong, just be transparent about yeah. it and 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 find a way to adapt. So. You know, say the internet fails and the live stream isn't working, um, always have a way to email that group really fast um, and, and contact that group, whether it's text or email, and to just say, we and apologize, the technology failed and we will rebroadcast this on the next date, you know, and we will make good on that. So um, there is always a way to make things right. And, um, and as long as you do that, um, authentically and transparently, I think we're always fine. And I've never, ever in my experience witnessed donors or board members or anyone penalizing an organization for trying something innovative. Yeah. Um, they don't, they don't, um, they will penalize you though for doing the same thing you've always done and playing it safe. That's true. And that tends to be more the trend in the nonprofit sector. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's, no, you it know, is. the hybrid space has introduced a new challenge for us that um, there is new technology in the world of bots that are searching your content when you are live streaming, right? So if you're live streaming on mm-hmm. YouTube, for example, there are bots that are looking to make sure you don't have like licensed content that's not your mm-hmm. content. And um, we had an event where exactly what you're saying happened. We had a keynote speaker and that keynote speaker brought sort of a little branded video clip that we were not anticipating. Um, And Mm. during that video clip, the bot caught it, shut down the feed. We immediately had our sort of chat moderator make a comment in the chat and our tech support line ready to go. We sent out an email saying, you know, technical challenge coming right back to you as soon as we can. And as soon as that clip was over, the broadcast actually came back. But we had like technology in place ready to go. We had partners that were able to think quickly. And it was um, uh, not even the the organization wasn't even aware of it until a donor told them after the event, you know, it went out for a minute and a half and then came back. And I don't know that that would have been possible if we hadn't had all those things ready to go. So that idea of having a plan, but also just, you said it already that like people are willing to give you a lot of grace when you're transparent. So being transparent Mm -hmm. and clear and understand that sometimes, you know, doing something new is risky. Absolutely. And like, I think that's a great, I love that you said technical difficulty, but I, I love an email where it says, Hey, did you know that you can't broadcast licensed documents? You know, right. like, <laughs> your donors are like, Oh, that makes sense. I didn't know that. Like they even could learn something in the process. So, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I believe it's always, it's always possible to turn something around. Um, and it really, I, I go back to a lot of times with successful events, it's the simple things that trip us up more than the big things. So, um, yeah, absolutely. It, um, and again, this technology has become really resilient. Um, and it's just, it's harder to mess up than, yeah. than it was even th- three years ago. So um, I've seen some really great a small nonprofit do a wonderful, um, a wonderful virtual event using Zoom, very low yeah. cost. I don't think everyone can do that. This particular development director is pretty, um, 
She's just very tech savvy and willing to tinker. She's willing to just tinker until she figures it out. And that's a, that's a personality trait, but um, did a wonderful job on Zoom um, and um, broadcasting an event and having a couple different camera angles on it. And, amazing. Um, and really did an amazing job. And it's a very small organization. Um, but what's interesting about that organization is the branding of that has elevated. I, I'm seeing that organization um, really, really grow and um and it has done that since she became development director and trying these new things and 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 elevating its brand through innovation so yeah um i just believe that when you go to a grant maker and say we're innovative yeah that then they can look and see yes in fact they are i went to this event and they did x y and z so like that things need to line up for for your grant makers for your sponsors for your donors so um yeah, that's that's a great story though about just having the partners in place. You can't say that enough. Um, well, I think the potential the potential yeah. of your event in that moment of you're willing to take that risk and then also bring the donor along with you and then demonstrate, mm-hmm. like you said, to your partners, yeah. to your funders, to your grant makers. Well, we're going to take one more little break. And when we come back, I want to get on the fundraising elevator with you. So we'll be right back with Brooke Battle at Swell Fundraising. Loving the fundraising elevator, but wondering how you can talk to Sam and Kristen? Well, now's your chance to do it. Book one-on-one consulting time with Swain Strategies experts, Sam, Kristen, and Mary, and get all your event questions answered. Our team has you covered on strategic planning, fundraising strategy, storytelling, data tools, and registration support. Get the tools and the help you need to make the most impact at your fundraising event. Book at elevatenonprofit.com. The link is also in our show notes. The Fundraising Elevator is recorded at the AV Department in Portland, Oregon. For years, they've been our trusted partner, delivering exceptional audiovisual production and videography for nonprofits. In 2020, they transformed into a dynamic live streaming studio, producing more than 900 virtual and hybrid events. Now, we embark on an exciting journey together to bring you this podcast. Seeking the best in live events, video production, and live streaming? We proudly recommend our friends at the AV department. Link in the episode description. Well, we are back and we are going to step into the fundraising elevator. Brooke, um, we like to ask all of our guests the same question of if you were headed up to the party in the penthouse, um, what is a great example of a party you've been to and why? And then we ask everyone to head down to the boiler room and tell us about tools in the toolbox that we should all have. So let's step into the fundraising elevator, if you will, and head up to the penthouse and tell us what really makes for a great event in your world. Sure. Um, well, you reminded me in asking me that question that um, we joke we joke a little bit around here about or ask the question, are you throwing a party or a fundraiser? And so, like, I love a great party, and there are a lot of great parties thrown by nonprofits, and I've attended a lot of those, but a lot of the parties aren't great fundraisers. So sometimes the best parties aren't great fundraisers. Uh, so I, um, I do love a very mission-centric event mm, um, me too. where where there is uh, plenty of time though for understanding i think that every um so i'll go to like um we'll talk about one that's a party because i okay. think it's nice to frame it up so one of the most successful events in our market is a chili cook-off this huge huge outdoor um event um and all and i always think every event has a driver there's this thing that makes that event work yeah. And if it's a if it's a if it's a luncheon event for a women's organization, a lot of times it's the table hosts who are doing all the inviting. That's what makes that event tick, right? In this case, this chili cook-off that has grown, it attracts thousands of people from around the community that wouldn't miss it now. Um, it's a great party. It's the corporate sponsors. They have made it so fun for companies to participate as an employee engagement tool. They make it easy to be a part of the chili cook-off. They do a lot of lead up on recipes, providing all the stuff, but they make it 
really great to be a participant mm-hmm. in the chili cook-off, making the chili. And that is what makes that event work. And so because they have, because they're having so much fun, right? They're having a party already. And so it makes the whole event fun because they've done a great job of really understanding what it means to 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 be a great corporate participant in yeah. this chili cook-off model. Because there have been spinoffs of that in our community that don't understand that. And they're not as good. Yeah. Because um, they don't understand what makes that event tick. And so I always talk about that. Like there's always this thing sometimes that you uniquely understand about your event that makes it tick. So it makes it really fun. So like that's a great party, but it's a great party because the people cooking the chili are having it wouldn't even matter if we showed up. They're, they're like joy is bubbling over. They've been out there since six AM. They're having a ball. And there are there are hundred of them. It's amazing. Amazing. So, um so that's that's a fun one, and and um you know and I think it raises money because it raises good corporate sponsor dollars. I don't know that it raises. I think there are probably plenty of people that go to this event and couldn't name the nonprofit though that is the sponsor. For oh, so just gonna just gonna put that out there. Um, that can happen. With yeah, a big event, I think that a happens party. a lot. I think when especially mm-hmm. when corporate sponsorship kind of tight retitles your event, a title sponsor mm-hmm. presenting sponsor retitles sometimes the brand identity of who it's for, who it's benefit fitting is lost. But um, I think, though, that what you've tapped into there is that um, the employees are getting something out of it. So when the employees get something out of it, the corporation as a whole gets something out of it, building Mm -hmm. on that corporate success model. That's awesome. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a good one and and very unique in that way. So um, I would say that. And um, and I think it's okay that people don't know the nonprofit. Again, I think that that it's this goes to measurements, which I think about a lot, like set out measurements. And if you're hitting your goals and you know where you're headed and your mindset is there, then you'll hit those things, you know, and I'm pretty sure that event does a good job of hitting it, but it's a great party. It's a great party. Um, so the boiler room. Yeah. Um, so tools. Of other, there's so many great parties that I can, I'm thinking of <laughs> lots of great parties. Um, I'm probably going to a great party tonight. Uh, oh, good. Celebrating the one, one, 120 years of an organization, so um, which is something incredible to celebrate. So um, I, I do want to, when we're talking about parties, talk about mission-centric, though. I do think it's really, really great to figure out how to creatively bring in your mission yes, uh, into an event, whether it's through partners, through music, through art um and so i want to point out some really creative things i feel like i've seen that go beyond the standard board chair standing up show a compelling video do the ask you know that kind of the box the box that a lot of us are in um i love to see art draw out a mission um and other aspects that that really make somebody go oh yeah i didn't you know that's cool you know so um film is a great way to do that as well and there's some wonderful independent film um, I think theaters around the country that people partner with to tell stories really well too. So um, just think about art as a way to incorporate into an event to tell your mission. Um, from a tool standpoint, yeah. um, I want to hear your I want to hear your answer too. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like mine's a little boring because I'm still back to that like just the block the basic blocking and tackling is so important for a fundraiser. And I just don't think they can do anything unless um, they have a really good CRM donor database system. Mm, yeah. And um, and that's not swell. We're an event system. Um, and, and I do want to say something about that. And that I think it's really um, one thing that I've come to think in software is that it's important to have systems that are dedicated to their space, that you will always you will always be great at what you're doing if you wake up every day thinking about that. Yeah. And so, you know, um, and so I do, I do encourage nonprofits to think outside. I think a lot of times we want one solution to yeah. solve everything. And I get that. There are a lot of things that that solves, but just recognize that that's, there's no way that solution is going to be as good at certain things as a company that wakes up every day thinking about it, like a, like a MailChimp for e for, for email. They're always going to be great at that. Cause that's literally what they wake up thinking about every day. So, um, so I would say, and the, and the mistake I feel like nonprofits make in the donor database system is, um, that they're too hard. They pick one that's really big and does a lot of things and therefore it's hard to use and then no one uses it. So in my notes and preparing, I was like a simple donor database that the team uses and can use really well. So that would be, I think the main tool that you need, because without that, 
it's hard to really it's hard to really build toward an event and all the things we're talking about today you know so well that would be on the main the... tool i have about four others listed here but oh good well one. i want to know the um <laughs> You know, on the sledgehammer note of the big software tool that isn't, um, you know, it's too cumbersome, it's too big for the job. Um, that's actually where I see that world overlap of not an expert in the thing that it's designed to do. And we experience a lot of people that are trying to use their CRM tool as an event platform. And it, yes. it does not work as an event platform because they are not, mm -hmm. as a technology software tool, any of them, any CRM, they are not seating guests at tables. They are not managing mm -hmm. meal choices. They are not managing donor communications in where to park their car and what details right. they need to know. They're not thinking about bid paddles, that it is right. unbelievable to me that some of these CRM tools sell, that they are marketing that they have event platforms and really they don't. They have a ticket selling platform that is just a direct one price ticket selling oh, platform. I wish I could. Can I get a clip of that? Yes. <laughs> yes. It it really makes me kind of crazy too when I see event management. I'm like, that is not event management. No, um, it's not. Right. Yeah, creating a creating a payment processing portal for ticketing is not events. No. Um, so, in fact, that's actually one of the bigger challenges for us that we really, um, and I think that's where we've really differentiated ourselves. And that, that's because we weren't built, um, we weren't trying to just augment payment processing, which a lot of companies that do what we do were really built as sort of the front end to really do a lot of payment yeah. processing and to make money processing payments. And so that means that everything they do is about processing payments. Well, that that is in conflict with nonprofits because so many tickets to nonprofit events aren't sold online. Right. Um, we have we have events of, with a thousand guests and literally they will sell seven tickets. Yeah. Online. Oh, Nine, absolutely. 990 are sold through tables uh -huh. and are issued they they so they won't go through that CRM donor <laughs> platform because they need an offline way to handle all their ticketing, you know. Yeah. And so um and yeah, that that is um and most most nonprofits, the vast majority of the activity is not really online payment processing. It's comp tickets and sponsor tickets and table host invitations and all these things and yeah, paddle raids. Yeah, I was working on that yesterday actually. <laughs> <laughs> well um, so yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that you have other tools that you think people should have in their tool chest. What do you think those tools should be? Sure. Um, I just think every every nonprofit staff member needs to be using a, a calendar scheduling app if you're mm. not already using one. Um, and I'm surprised how many people aren't already using one. That's why I said it. So um, that's a simple one, I think, that can save somebody a lot of time. Um, I do think you need software dedicated to your event. That was my third. Yeah. So you already hit that one too. Um, it's just going to make their life so much easier too um, when the software matches what they're trying to do. Um, I talked to a, a, a college this morning, a college planner this morning, and um, they had seen the software at work somewhere else. And they were like, this is exactly what we've been looking for. This is exactly what we need. And it just... Oh, it just filled me up so much that, that they it was exactly what they needed. And then they and they knew with confidence that it was matching up with their processes, you know, and it was yeah. gonna automate what they've been doing manually. So um, but the other the thing I wanna say is that it's not a technology tool, but is an event planner. You need swing strategies involved. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you need you do. Um I, I see too many development directors um planning their own events and spending their time doing things that they only do once a year when there yeah. are companies that do it four or five times a week, as you mentioned. Yeah. And, and I would love to say to have the confidence to know that if your time is freed up, if you're not planning it, and, and as a fundraiser, your time is free to do more fundraising, then you will more than pay for the expense. And I know that's the rub for nonprofits is trying to keep yeah. expenses low. But if you just think about the time that you can redeploy and cultivating another table host, cultivating another sponsor, filling that table, having the mental capacity to think about who needs to be at your event and get in, the, get in that room, um, that will more than you, the ROI on the, what you spend on that planner. And I know that's not a tech tool, but I just I think every nonprofit, no matter how big they are, should use an event planner to help them. Well, you just spoke straight to our heart in the same way that that college said to you, this is exactly 
what we needed. You know, we started doing this work because we saw so many organizations not able to focus on their donor relationship and we wanted Mm -hmm. to free them up to focus on their donor relationship. So um, I think that you provided the tool for that organization because you have come out of the world of events and planning events. So thank you for building a platform and a tool that is really designed both with the nonprofit and the event in mind. It makes it a really amazing tool. Um, I want to make sure that folks know how to get a hold of you. So there's a couple of different um, ways to be able to reach out to Brooke because she has some really amazing insight to share with anyone who's looking to understand uh, Swell Fundraising. Check out their platform. Check out what they do. Um, And Brooke is on Twitter. You can find her personally at twitter.com slash bam battle or at slash Swell Funds. Or you can find her Mm -hmm. and Swell Fundraising on LinkedIn. And um, she has generously offered that any of our podcast listeners who are interested in doing a sort of first time setup of a new account and learn how to use Swell Fundraising, they will waive the new account setup fee, which is $149 contribution back to the organization. So thank you for offering that. Thank you for being here and just sort of thinking and dreaming about the potential of the event space right now. And really thank you for creating tools and resources out there for organizations that are really designed with them at the heart. We appreciate Swell Fundraising so much and we look forward to partnering with you on future things and appreciate you being on the show today and sharing some of your insights with our listeners. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been great fun. It really has been. Um, and I would just like to say that in all that we all do, let's try to remember to have fun with it. Yes. Um, every, everyone at events and fundraising is drawn to people who are having fun. And so let's just try to keep that in mind. This has been great fun. So I appreciate it very much. Amazing. Well, I hope everyone has a fun day. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for being here, Brooke. Have a great day. Bye. The Fundraising Elevator is produced in partnership with Swaim Strategies at the studios of the AV department. The program is produced by April Clark and directed by Steve Osborne, with audio engineering and original music by Dwayne Anderson and Heidi Christensen. Video production by Chris Peterson, Whitney Gomes, and Nathan Bouquet. Video editing by Steve Osborne. Graphic design by Pendulum Creative Group. And support from Sophia Keller, John Lyles, and Andy Dowsett.